This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we are welcoming you this week to the first Sunday in Holy Week. This Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, and we're going to be the, the preaching on the rich young ruler. If you've been doing your personal worship this week, you have been spending time considering that passage in Luke 18 all week long. Um, and so that's what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast. Um, it's a story that's found in Luke 18. It's also found in Matthew 19, and it's found in Mark chapter 10. Um, and there are different little bits of information in each one. For example, we're referring to it as the rich young ruler. Well, you only get all three pieces of that if you read Matthew and Luke, because Matthew tells you he's young. Luke tells you he's a ruler and extremely wealthy. Um, so you you kind of read all three of them to get the composite thing. There's, there's elements that are unique in Mark, and we'll talk about that as we go on. Um, but Sam, this story comes at a place in chapter 18 where he, you know, he started off with the two parables which we covered, which was the persistent widow and the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, and then there was this interlude in between in which uh, just a couple of verses where Jesus, uh, I guess the crowd was bringing infants to him to touch and mm -hmm. his disciples, you know, rebuked the crowd, you know, keep these babies away from the master sort of thing. And Jesus said a very interesting thing. He said to them, um, you know, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I think that's kind of important because it has some bearing on what's going on here. Can you mm -hmm. maybe talk about what that, what Jesus meant by that when he said, if you don't have, if you don't receive it like a child? Yeah. So what he's getting at is, you know, if you were to ask, okay, well, how does a, how would a child receive it? Mm-hmm. Well, when you think of a child, you know, when, when I go home tonight, Caleb is not going to have to come to me and say, you know, dad, here's, here's my grades today. Can, can I eat? Will I have a bed? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, he has kind of a, an innocent sense of entitlement, a trust in the goodness of his mother and his father. He's coming and he knows that I'm going to take care of him and he knows he can't take care of himself. And so, he comes with this innocent sense of need. You know, he, he recognizes, you know, I'm just a kid. I can't go out and earn a living and, and put a roof over my head and a bed and meals and all of that stuff. But he comes with this sense of recognizing what great need he has. But he also comes with an absolute confidence that his mother and father are going to take care of his needs. Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus is saying to us is you have to come with that sense of need and that sense of faith that your father is going to take care of you. And now this whole story, when Luke is putting these together, because you got to remember when the gospel authors are putting these stories together, most of the time they're linking these stories together because they follow a theme. And so we've just come out, like you said, out of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And which, you know, this tax collector who is reviled by everybody says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's somebody who recognizes his need. He recognizes he falls short. 
And then Jesus says, you know, he's the one that's going to heaven. He's the one who goes home justified. And then he emphasizes you have to be like a kid. You've got to recognize your need. Mm -hmm. You cannot get into the kingdom of God on your own. You have to be like a child and receive it. Because I do think that there's that the you know kind of the common wisdom, certainly from outside the church, perhaps hopefully inside the church, we have that proper understanding. But I think if you were to stop like the average person and say, so you know, what do you think about you know? It's like, do you believe in God? Yeah, sure. You know, there's a heaven. So why would somebody get in and somebody else not get in? Well, you know, you got to do the best you can. It's this idea of mm-hmm. a kind of a synergistic thing, like, a, okay, God, I'm ready to do my part. You know, if you'll do your part, then everything will be okay. But, um, you know, like you say, the tax collector sets the point of hum- of humbleness and humility. He came and, and, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. Don't I've got nothing to offer. Same mm-hmm. thing with a child is that I've got nothing to offer and adds in that, and I'm absolutely confident, Dad, that you're going to be able to take care of me. So, mm-hmm. That sets the stage for our rich ruler here, um, and we sort of keep that in mind as we look at where this guy starts off. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 18 says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, you know, and I, I just wanted to stop there for a second just to kind of reflect on this aspect, which is this is a guy who, you know, Matthew tells us he's young. Um, all of them tell us he's wealthy. Uh, Mark and Luke tell us he's a ruler. So what do we know about this guy starting off? Well, we know he's got means. He's got wealth. He's, he doesn't, he's, doesn't want for anything. He's young in a time when being young was an advantage because there was no guarantee that you were going to be old in those days. And he's a ruler. He's somebody that has authority and is respected. If there's anyone who should feel like my life is complete, I've got it all, man. It's all rolling for me. This is awesome. Life is good. It should be this guy. And yet he he has that that keen sense that he's missing something, that he's missing eternal life. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting thing because he's the last guy you would expect to be having that sense of lack, that mm-hmm. lack of joy, you know. You know, and that's one of the things that's really fascinating. You know, our church, we we serve a lot of different people. You know, we serve very rich people at Rio Vista Community Church. We serve people that are struggling. But one of the things that's fascinating is they all struggle with this. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are who are poor, who are struggling, who are trying to make it up the ladder to earn the power and, you know, the position, the money and all that stuff, they think, man, when I get there, then – I'll feel fulfilled. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied with life. If I can only, you know, go up the rungs and reach that point. And then it's it's funny, man. You talk to the people in our congregation who've reached it, and and they come and they've they've got everything that the guy, you know, four rungs down the ladder is striving for. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it doesn't get any better. It just feels emptier. Um, and that's what this ruler is coming to recognize. He's like you said, he's got he's got the power. 
He's got the money. He's got youth on his side. He's well respected. We're going to see later in the passage, you know, that he's he's not a playboy either. He's not out, you know, drinking it up and partying. He's not like the prodigal son where you're thinking, well, he must be making a mess of his life. That's why he's unhappy. No, it, it says that he feels like he's a moral person. He's doing the right things. And yet there's this gaping hole in him that even though he has all of that, he's like, I got to find this Jesus guy. I, I hear people go to him and walk away happy. I, I see people that I knew, you know, and they walk away with this new joy. I feel empty. I got to find him. And so he seeks Jesus out and goes to him and says, what, what do I have to do yeah. to inherit eternal life? And you know, we had this conversation before we recorded, but that idea of having eternal life, you know, in the in the modern church, in the in the modern evangelical church, we hear inherit eternal life, and we tend to think that that is purely about going to heaven. It's you know, when you die, are it's, you going to have eternal life? It's an right? insurance policy. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Fire insurance, they <laughs> they yeah. call it. Um, but this is not what is meant when Jesus is talking about eternal life. It is that, but it's so much more than that. When he mentions this idea of eternal life, it is now. You can have abundant life, this idea of this infinite eternal life that envelops you and surges through you. You can have it now that leads on forever. You don't have to wait until you die to receive this. And this guy's coming saying, man, I don't have it. I don't feel alive. I don't feel joyful. What in the world do I need to do to get that? Yeah. So it's a thing that we can identify with, I think, pretty strongly with this rich ruler. Um, and and it's interesting to me because we come from the tax collector, who's a man who is acutely aware of his sinful condition. And then we see Jesus commenting on the children who come to him with complete trust and faith and and an innocence and a complete reliance. And then we come to this guy who has every earthly advantage and yet feels that great sense of emptiness. I'm like, one of those pretty much describes everybody's condition. I'm like, mm -hmm. somewhere where they – and yet in that, all of these come to Jesus. All of these come with that, I need something more. I need something else. You know, this, mm -hmm. this I have this great emptiness in me. When you look at a little kid, what are you most jealous of? You know, other than the fact that uh, they're they're young and you know their hips don't hurt, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, when you get to be a certain age, you look at the kids and you go, "Yeah, you can dance. Just wait till you're my age. There's no swinging those hips anymore." <laughs> right. Well, what I was going for, like when I look at a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. So, but like you know, we recently we just went on a, a family vacation, and you you go into an amusement park and you look at your kids, and they they're experiencing an entirely different <laughs> universe than you are. Yeah, you're looking at it going oh, the heat, the lines, the money, the everything. You know, you're annoyed by it all, and they're they're in, they're lost in kind of a magical experience. They don't have they don't stress about their bills. They don't stress about what's coming. The, you know they. They wear things for maybe a moment and then they forget about it. You know, there's this just incredible innocent naivety almost. When you look at a little kid, they're not burdened 
by how broken the world is, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, especially when they're young. Right. There's an innocence there. And then as they grow older, the world bombards them and they become stressed out and anxious and fearful and all of those things overwhelm them. And it's like that's what this rich young ruler is coming for. Jesus is like, you know, you have to be like a little kid. And his question to Jesus is, no, 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 no. I can't, I'm not going to be like a little kid that's dependent entirely upon parents. What must I do? Because this is about what I do. It can't, I'm not going to lean or rely on anybody else, which is precisely what Jesus was getting at. You can't get into heaven on your own. You have to rely upon your father. Right. And he says, Sam, he says, what must I do mm-hmm. to inherit eternal life? It's like it, it didn't occur to him that it would be anything other than something that depended on him to do something. And I think that's mm-hmm. the other aspect of the rich ruler that a lot of people can identify with is just feeling that if there is something out there, if there's a better life out there, if there's a spiritual reality, some connection to Jesus – there must be something I need to do in mm-hmm. order to be worthy of that, in order to deserve that and earn that. Yeah. Um, and Jesus will Jesus will walk him through that process here. You know, he'll he'll <laughs> disabuse him of that. I think it's also interesting. Uh, you know, he starts off by saying "good teacher," and then in verse nineteen, Jesus reacts to that. He says, "And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone.'" And I think that that's a, a that's something that a 21st century reader will stop and go, what? Because, <laughs> you know, because we call people good all the time. You know, mm-hmm. we, we would say, you know, my mom and dad are good people. You know, that's a good person. I know. My, they, so good is a, is a word that, that we throw around pretty easily. But in this context, Sam, what did it mean? Why did Jesus react like that? Yeah, one of the one of the commentaries that I was reading pointed out that if you go through all the Talmud, these you know massive collections of writings from the old scribes and rabbis, that there's nowhere in there where it refers to a rabbi as good. And the reason for that was they believed that that was a title that was reserved for God alone. And so when the ruler comes up to Jesus and he calls him good teacher, it's kind of this confusing mix. It's like, all right, do you know who you're talking to? Because you're you're sending mixed signals. Mm-hmm. If Jesus is just a teacher, don't call him good because good is reserved for God alone. And and Jesus is kind of like reminding him of that. Like, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And I think Jesus means that as kind of a wink, wink, hint, hint, you yeah. know, yeah. like – you're talking to – are you talking to a mere rabbi or do you believe you're talking to God? Yeah. Um, and, of course, the, the rich young ruler, I think, misses it entirely. But it's interesting. He knows there's something different about Jesus to where he would dare to call him a good teacher, which would have been kind of scandalous in that era. He recognizes Jesus is more than a mere rabbi, but he does not understand that he is looking into the eyes of Almighty God himself. So Jesus' answer was to go on in verse 20. He says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, <laughs> that's, you know, okay, this is all from what we call like the second table of the law, which the, the we have the Ten Commandments. You know, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and then we get into our relationship to each other, the things that we do to each other. 
Um, and you mentioned an interesting thing in that in this list of things that Jesus gives right here, there was one of them that was omitted. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which one is missing from the list and what's significant about it? Yeah, so Jesus is hitting commandments five through nine here, and they're all things that you can see. You can see, you know, does somebody, com- or at least they think, you <laughs> right. can see murder. You can, you know, did you cheat on your wife? Well, you can know that. It's all external. Did you steal? Did you take possession of someone else's stuff? These are things that you can see from external behaviors, mm-hmm. but Jesus intentionally omits the 10th commandment, which is you shall not covet your neighbor's goods or his wife. And coveting is something you can't see. It's it's yearning for someone else's stuff. It's envy. It's kind of this jealousy. And every human heart struggles with that, but you can't inspect it from the outside. It's it's hidden in the heart. And so Jesus is is kind of walking this guy along with all the things that you can see because this guy's hope is entirely relying upon all this external obedience. And so Jesus is starting with the outside, and he's going to work his way in. And so he omits the Tenth Commandment because that would have would have diagnosed too soon. And Jesus is, is going to be kind of doing some spiritual surgery on this guy to expose um, that, yeah, he might be okay on the outside. Like everybody's looking at this guy going, man, he's got his life together. He's, he's successful, and he's powerful, and he's wealthy, and he's moral – but Jesus is going to show that on the inside, not so much. Yeah. And the guy does – he jumps right in with and, – and, and we don't really know what the tone was. I mean I could see verse 21 going one of two ways. I could see the rich young ruler responding enthusiastically, thinking, I got, I got this. You know, All these I have kept from my youth. I could also see it being a little prideful, you know. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. Like, Jesus, you know, there's got to be something more. See, I, I, yeah, I see it that way. Like he's, he's, it's almost like he's like, I've tried that, you yeah. know, I've done all that and I'm still empty. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's almost like a protest. Like, oh man, you're telling me the same thing all the other rabbis told me. Yeah. I've done all this. He was looking for something special from Jesus. And yeah, he didn't feel like yeah. He got give him me a sport. technique. Give me give me some magic pill. Yeah, because you know all the the rituals and the religiosity and the moralism, it ain't helping. Yeah. I'm still empty. You know, and um, we also, I think, have to take note here that no one in the crowd murmured or said anything when this guy said. All these I've kept from my youth, which mm-hmm. I think tells us again a little bit about our rich ruler here. This was, you know, a good dude in the eyes of the mm-hmm. people. This was somebody who, when he declared that I've kept all these things from my youth, nobody said, "Yeah, except last week when you, you know." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <clears throat> so and and Jesus, you notice, doesn't say, "Oh, come on," yeah. you know. So so. In that culture, everybody looked at these laws, like I said, and they're very external. You know, it's letter of the law. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these laws and he expands them to the heart. And so you remember, you know, if you hate your brother, it's, it's you've murdered him in your heart. If you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, so there's all these things in which the commandments are not just external. It's a matter of what's in your heart mm-hmm. that actually causes you to do the external. Yeah. And so Jesus makes a big deal about the 
the internal motives and the heart. And he's already said, and I, I think this is kind of funny, you know, he's already declared there's no one good except God alone. And then he lays out the commandments and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I've done that. It's almost <laughs> like he's saying, yeah, no one but me. <laughs> you know, I kept all that. And, you know, you're waiting for Jesus to be like, all right, let's have a refresher course. No one is good except God alone. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I, me, I've kept all from my youth. And it's like Jesus has already given him the answers to the exam and he's getting the questions wrong. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 I'm moral. I'm, I'm worthy of God. Uh, verse 22 records Jesus' response then to that statement, all these that I've kept f- from my youth. But this is the point where the account in Mark's gospel um, gives us, I think, a, a, a helpful piece uh, or helpful additional bit of information, which is mm-hmm. Mark tells us that when Jesus heard this, he loved him. Mm-hmm. So, it, 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 you know, Luke tells us he responded and, and he did respond here. But I think that we have to understand is that Jesus wasn't going for the kill stroke here. Jesus loved him. You know, it's like he, this was a kindness that Jesus was coming back to him when he said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So I guess the first question is on the surface of it, it would seem like Jesus is saying, this money here is a little bit of a problem. You need to get rid of that first. Is Jesus saying it's bad to have money? I don't think so. <laughs> no, and the funny thing is, is you know, the first few times that I heard this, your brain immediately wants to figure out, okay, what's the bottom line? What do I need to do? Like, yeah. what is it? Because it's got to be something that I do. And so you think, okay, well, then the key is, you know, you have to sell everything you have. You have to be really generous. You have to have a heart that cares for the poor. And if you can check that box... Well, then you get to go to heaven. And that's not the one thing. Remember, Jesus says, one thing you lack. It's not, it's not giving away the money. Like, that's not the one thing. Notice what he says. You need to get rid of your money, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. I am the one thing you lack. And the reason why I'm telling you to get rid of your money is not because money's evil or not because I hate you know rich people. It's nothing like that. It's your obsession with money as the ultimate source of your identity, the ultimate source of your security, the ultimate source of, of your ability to feel like you matter. That's what's keeping you from grabbing hold of me. You'll never let it go. That's your real God. That is you know, what you bow down to and you got to let it go yeah. and come follow me. The one, I am the one thing, but you'll never follow me so long as you have this other God competing for your affections and your life. So let that go. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, because there were people in that time who took vows of poverty to demonstrate their devotion to God. They were no closer to God because of that vow of poverty than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the possessions, you know, having lots of possessions or having material wealth, that, isn't, that doesn't necessarily determine whether you're any closer to God or not. Um, so, and by that same token, you can have those things if God has chosen to give you wealth and possessions. Um, if they are not an idol, if it's not something that you put before God or you look to instead of God, um, if you have the proper perspective on it, it's it's a wonderful thing. I mean, God, mm-hmm. it, we've uh, you and I we've talked about at times 
the early church and how things got funded and cared for in the early church. You know, mm-hmm. when the church was just getting off the ground, those missionaries like Paul would go into a city and in each city it was it was almost invariably mm-hmm. there would be somebody wealthy in that city who would respond to the gospel message and would they would support Paul mm-hmm. as he was there doing that teaching. So those people were absolutely essential to the birth of the church. Yeah. Yeah, God was totally using them. And Paul, you know, if you read through the book of Acts, Paul, when he shows up in a city, he goes to the synagogue, you know, and he's he's <laughs> preaching his message at the synagogue, and almost invariably, people get really angry <laughs> 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 that he's preaching, you know, a gospel of grace and that Jesus is God and, you know, God became a man and died for our sins. And that it would infuriate the Jews of all these different cities where he was going, and they would drive him out of the synagogues. And then somebody wealthy who had heard the gospel, who who was willing to let go of their wealth or basically say, God, this wealth you've given me and now I want to use it for your purposes – and then they would open up their homes or they would they would be the ones who funded meeting places for Paul uh, to, to carry on his gospel ministry in these towns. And so – God didn't, you know. Paul didn't come to them and say, "I'm sorry, you're wealthy. I, I, you know, I can't be with you because you're you're clearly going to hell. God doesn't like wealthy people. I mean, that's not at all right. God transforms the hearts of these wealthy people to become essential instruments in His hand for the sake of spreading the gospel. And you know, people like Lydia, who was the first convert in Europe who sold precious clothing and dyes and stuff like she would have been wildly wealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, God used her in, in Ephesus when Paul gets thrown out of synagogues in Corinth, you know, it's the wealthy who say, you know, you can come use my courtyard or my place right. that would accommodate a large crowd. It was, you know, so these people were very essential, but they understood that all of their money belonged to God and that they were merely stewards and they valued Jesus's mission more than they valued their bank accounts. Yeah. So let's see where our rich young ruler falls on that scale here. Uh, verse 23 tells us, But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So right there is that's – the, that's the moment where I feel all the air go out of the balloon for this guy. It's like I feel mm-hmm. the this – the, this is the point where you hear the, you know, wonk, wonk noise or something come in. It's like this – he, you know, Jesus said, "Hey, you need to deal with your wealth because I can see that you love that wealth. You love what you have, and you need to not love that. And so, mm-hmm. for, let's start by getting that out of the way, and then you need me." But the rich young ruler tripped at the "I have to get the wealth out of the way." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what we see here is that this is a guy who he didn't, he wasn't able to see God past the money. It's like that. He looked around at all that he had and thought, I'm not even going to be me if I don't have all of this stuff. Um, And, you know, that's an interesting thing because in a way, that's what Jesus offers each of us is he offers each of us a new identity. You know, there's like – at one point, Paul kind of makes that point. He's like, you you know, 
in Christ, there's no more divisions between things. We don't have Jew and Greek and bond and free and male and female. We don't have, there's not rich and poor. You mm-hmm. know, in Christ, we all have that identity of belonging to him. It's like, so that's what Jesus was actually offering him. He's like, your identity is that money. I'm offering you a new identity. And he didn't want to take it. And it's really sad. This is, like you said, I think that's a perfect way to say it. This is where the air comes out of the balloon. And you mix all the emotions going on here. And, you know, Jesus loves this guy. You know, he sees it. He's, he's, he can sympathize with the emptiness that this guy's feeling. And it's like, man, I have the cure. I'm right here. Like, I can satisfy you. I am the infinite God with infinite attributes ready to just pour into you and to – to, to turn your life around and to give you peace that's beyond your understanding and joy that's beyond measure, I'm right here. Just let go of that stuff. And you see, I mean, if you could see with spiritual eyes, this guy's holding on to stuff. I mean, at the grave, all this stuff is just going to sift through his fingers. Right. It's going to enslave him for the rest of his life unless he turns to Christ. He's going to just continue chasing after something that just leaves him empty and there standing in front of him is almighty God in the flesh who loves him. Yeah. yeah. And he can't let go. It's it is such a tragic picture and you imagine, you know, how crushing this would be for Jesus too, you know, who's looking at this man and thinking, "Come. Like I'm here. I, you know, I want I want you." And I guess like in my imagination of faith, I can't say this authoritatively, but the fact that he goes away very sad makes me wonder if, you know, the spirit is at work mm-hmm. in this guy. And later on, you know, maybe he thought, you know what, this this wealth, he, that, he, that, that good teacher, you know, that God in the flesh, he was right, yeah. you know, and maybe we'll see this guy in heaven. I sure hope so. And I think the fact that Mark tells us that Jesus loved him. Mm-hmm gives us some hope that there was a covenantal love at play in there. You know, I, it, it is one of the situations where, you know, if I was standing there, I would, I'd want to go up to him and say, here, take this scroll. It's Ecclesiastes. Read this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, this is what you need to read right now. You need to read Solomon and Ecclesiastes because this is going to talk about the things that you're, that you're pondering right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the other accounts tell us uh, that, I mean, Luke says here he became very sad. The other accounts say that, they, that at this is the point at which he walked away. He went away mm-hmm. sad um, because – Verse 24 tells us, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Um, And I guess I wanted our listeners to understand that Jesus wasn't saying it while this poor guy was standing right in front of him, you know, in his sadness, um, you know. Jesus wasn't saying, let me make an example now of this man who's standing right here. Don't, no, 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 don't go anywhere. We need you for this part. This uh, moron. Yeah. Yeah. No, Jesus was talking to his disciples and the others that were around him after this guy uh, walked away. Now, when he says it's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, he wants to make that point abundantly clear. So he adds on to it in verse 25. He says, for it is easier. For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when I was, uh, when I was in Bible college, there was all of this consternation. There were, uh, they would talk about, 
you know, what does that mean? And, and we had some that wanted to talk about this gate that was supposedly in the city of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. It was an extremely narrow gate and you, it was hard to like, you had to grease the camel to shove him through the gate to get him into the city. And, and I being the helpful student I was in Bible college, I used to say things like, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person in an account. Well, unless you puree the camel first, then he goes right through, you know. Um, but nice. But there's there are two things here to say. Um, you know, he's he's basically saying to them that you know that on its own, on their own, left to their own devices, it's impossible. You know, it's like they're facing an impossible thing. It's like they're, there's so much going against them that they have all of this wealth and it becomes their identity. Mm-hmm. And we see that over and over and over again in scripture. When a rich man is portrayed, it's almost always his money becomes who he is. And we know that to be true. Just, you know, take your phone out of your pocket and go scroll people.com. It's going to tell you all about the Hollywood elite, and you're going to see that their money, their wealth, their you know that little enterprise becomes who they are. That's mm-hmm. what they're all about. Because if they lose that, what are they? Oh, I'm nobody now. Well, you weren't nobody. You know, it's like, but that's because you put all your identity in your stuff. So he is saying here, right when he says, "For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle," that doesn't mean some gate in Jerusalem, does it? No. Yeah, I you know, I I'm somebody who loves history and archaeology and finding all that kind of cool little things. I I can't find it anywhere. Have they they've never um, found the gates? <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> so. But I mean even claims that that go back to that theory are not ancient in the times of Jesus. Like so all of those theories are dubious. I don't think they're real. Um, I think that's somebody who has a lot of money who's like, I don't like that teaching. Maybe <laughs> if we tell them it's a gate, you know. Um, but it misses the point. Like what Jesus is getting at here is he means to be provocative. He means to provoke the question that's going to come in response in the next verse we're about to get to. And and this is why. In the ancient world, and we do this still today. I mean the prosperity gospel brings this out of people. Where we, when we look at somebody who's you know attractive and they have power and they have authority and they have status and they have money and they're you know externally they they seem put together their family looks beautiful on their pictures on the Christmas cards and everything else, we tend to think you know God's favors on them. Yeah. This is somebody who is you know definitely better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they have everything going for them. They're going to be at the front of the line when it comes to heaven. And when you hear Jesus say, "Man, it is really hard for the wealthy to make it into heaven," you know, it would be like it is really hard for those that are proud of their morals. It's really hard for those that are attractive. It's really hard to those that have advantages to enter the kingdom of God. Everybody in their audience would have gone, wait, what? I I thought they were the front of the line. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. they were the ones that are are definitely getting in. And so the disciples who hear him say that, then who can be saved? You know, but they're looking at the Pharisees, they're looking at the chief priests, they're looking at the scribes, they're looking at all these moral people, the rulers, the wealthy, and everybody else, and they think, oh, they must be closer to God. And Jesus blows up that paradigm and that statement to where they're going, man, if if not them, then who? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the point. They cannot be saved 
in and of their own accomplishments or what they bring to the table. Yeah. No one can. Yeah. Well, in a nod to your biblical archaeology class, another uh, another of which is happening tonight at Rio Vista Church, uh, although they won't know that because they won't hear this podcast for two <laughs> days. Uh, <clears throat> however, uh, I would like to say, will you be surprised if in 2023 some archaeologist finds something called the Eye of the Needle, a narrow gate that's full of <laughs> camel bones? Yeah, not at all. <laughs> The, mo- the and, most unusual and the remnants thing. of Mark's grease. Yes. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, it seems that this gate was filled with camels before it was buried. You know. <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, sorry, archaeology humor, there, folks. A little bit of archaeology humor. You have to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a category. Yeah, you got to. You got to. I'm inventing it right now. So. Um, so then, as you said, it was a provocative statement, verse 26, those who heard it, what Jesus just said about the camel and the needle, said, then who can be saved, <laughs> you know, which is a perfectly valid question. And Jesus here, this is what he's getting at, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And, you know, that's the thing that we have to keep in mind, I think, is that salvation is a work of God. Salvation is a process that, you know, it is it is God through his work of his spirit, through the word, you know, it's like this is how we receive that gift of faith. It is God who does that miracle, quite frankly, in the hearts of people uh, to bring them to himself. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what Jesus wants people to know here is that, yeah, you know what, on your own, in your own strength, in your own judgment, by your own standards, in your own way of looking at it, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And that's – it's impossible. But with God, with me, all things are possible. Yeah. Yeah, the the statement, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Envision that. It's the, even the fact that he's talking about categories of easier, like what do you mean easier? That's impossible. Like it's just stupid to imagine a camel going through the eye of a needle. It cannot happen. And that's why he says what is impossible. Well, what do you mean impossible? It's impossible for rich people to go to heaven on their own. They can't buy it. They'll never earn it. They'll never be worthy of it. They can't do it on their own. The richest person, the poorest person, everybody, like remember those children – Everybody is in need of mercy. No one can do it on their own. Christ is the one that makes the impossible. What's impossible? You being found worthy to stand in the presence of God and to be called his bride for all of eternity, to be worthy of his hand. That is impossible for that to happen on your own. But he, by what he's done in the gospel through the cross and the resurrection, has made the impossible possible yeah that is one of those amen moments man i tell you it is uh i don't think that there's because you know each of us for whatever reason um i think we come up with our own ideas as to what it is that why we would deserve favor with god i think you know i've encountered people who i've had conversations with about the gospel who have been kind of down on their luck and a lot Mm -hmm. of times what I hear in what they tell me um, is, hey, you know, I've had, a, I've had a hard deal here. Life hasn't given me very much. And so, you know, I figure, I figure God will have mercy like God owes me. 
God owes me something. I've had a hard life, so God owes me something. You know, and when I'm talking to people that are kind of in that middle section, like kind of like I was, quite frankly, the answer typically is I'm doing the best I can. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's why that's why God is going to let me in. That's why that's why I'm going to have favor with God at the judgment because He's going to see I've done what I could. I've done the best I can, and He's going to grade on a curve. You know. Um, I'm not as good as some, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure better than most kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that, you know, and all of that is, is coming from a place of, of pride. By the way, you notice I didn't talk about what the rich people feel because I don't know never having been rich. <laughs> I can just speak to where I was and I can speak to you know, some of the other folks I've talked with. But it is that, you know, that's coming from a sense of pride. You know, the, the person who's had that hard luck all their life that feels like God owes them something. Well, why? Because that's it's a, it's a prideful thing. It's like, hey, you know what? I, you owe me, you know? Mm-hmm. And me feeling like, hey, I'm better than most, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm doing the best I can. It's a pride thing, you know? And that's what this whole section here has been trying to take out of us is this idea of pride, from the tax collector to the children to the rich ruler, Jesus is saying, you have got to let go of the pride. Yep. There's a, a one of the ways that Pastor Tim Keller, who's a preacher up in Manhattan or was, um, planted Redeemer Church up there. One of the expressions he uses is there are far too many people, particularly in the American church, who consider themselves middle class in spirit. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that expression because when Jesus – opens up the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is. And so to to come in, it's like you got to recognize, my goodness, God deserves so much more from me. And, you know, it, it's it's not just that the gospel comes and, and calls you to realize, you know, man, he's this perfect God. Who, who deserves perfection from me, and I fall short of that. I don't even meet my own standards. I'm not the husband I want to be. I'm not the father I want to be. I'm not the boss I want to be. I'm not the employee I want to be. I, I don't measure up in a lot of ways. So if I don't even measure up to my standards, you know, I definitely don't measure up to God's standards, and yet he chases after me. But the, the one thing you need for the gospel to really kind of – surge into your life. The one thing you need is need. Right. And so when you're middle class in spirit, which is like what you were talking about, we're like, yeah, I'm better than this person. and Maybe not as good as this person. I'm somewhere in the middle, but I'm pretty good. I got it together. Like, no, 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 no. You're not comparing yourself to the other people to where you're like, yeah, middle class. I'll get in. I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. No, you're standing next to the infinitely holy God who is entitled to perfection and he is putting you up on audition to say, are you worthy of the perfections of heaven? Are you worthy to be in my presence forever? Are you worthy to take the hand of my son as his bride? Are you worthy to be in, in this intimate relationship with the, the holy Godhead for all of eternity? Can you measure up and be worthy of being in that <laughs> environment? And the answer is, <laughs> no, I am poor. I am poor in spirit. I don't measure up. And this is the great thing about Christianity is Jesus isn't saying, okay, now grovel. Grovel and show me that you're poor. Grovel and show me that you're t-. – no, he's, 
he comes and says, you, I'm giving this inheritance freely, gladly, joyfully. I love you. Please realize that apart from me, you're just going to be stuck in this cycle of misery and emptiness. And I come and I'm offering something to you that is not based on your performance. It's not based on you being good enough or wealthy enough or moral enough or any of that. I'm offering it to you and all I ask is that you just embrace me. Mm-hmm. Embrace me more than these. Yeah. And all of this is yours regardless of your performance and your circumstance. And for the person who has had the hard life, what an offer. God looks at you and says, man, I see your pain. I see what you've been through. I'm now offering you an inheritance and a hope that is no longer conditional upon circumstance. You don't have to wonder whether or not I love you or whether or not I'm for you. Look at what I've done. You think you've suffered? Look at how much I've suffered to win you. Yeah. Look at look at what I walked away from, the glories of heaven to become a man and to be rejected and despised and spat on and tortured and, and betrayed and crucified and – you know, mocked relentlessly. Like, I I know what that's like. Yeah, but you are worth it. You know, I've thought at times about why the cross, why the crucifixion, why did it have to be done that way? I understand that it was done to fulfill prophecy, but also just big picture. Like, why couldn't this all just have been done? You know, dealt with neatly, you know, in heaven on a spiritual plane. Why did Jesus need to come and and suffer in this way? Why did he have to hang on the cross? And it occurs to me, or has occurred to me, that it was it's it was so public. You know, it's like Jesus was willing to put himself on display to say, "Here I am, this much." I'm doing this for you here, out in the open, in front of everybody. I'm letting them strip me of my dignity, practically strip me of my humanity, beat me beyond recognition. I'm going through all of this in the light of day, in plain view of everyone, to show you just how much I love you. Mm-hmm. I could have done this easier. I could have found an easier way. You know, he's God. He's very smart. He could have found an easier, quieter, you know, less conspicuous way to do it, to handle it. But he didn't. Mm-hmm. He did this publicly. He did this in a demonstrative way. It was the most notorious death that he could suffer. Um, and I think that was for a reason. I think that he wanted us to be able to look at that and recognize that the message of the gospel is this, this, this crucifixion, this resurrection, this is how much I love you. And I'm not going to leave you where I found you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we come – you know, without our pride, we have to strip ourselves of all of that. We have to come with nothing but our need, you've said many times. Um, and then Jesus says, but I'm not going to leave you there. I've got this robe for you. I've killed the fatted calf. Here's the ring. There's the sandals, you know. We're going to have a celebration because now you're home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the good news of the gospel. And one of the things that gets me in, in dangerous territory sometimes is I try to imagine what it would have been like from God's perspective um, to step into Jesus, because we rarely sympathize with Jesus and how hard some of this must have been and how heartbreaking it would have been. But he comes to this guy and he says he loves him, right? And he says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And it just dawned on me that he's not asking 
this rich young ruler to do anything that he hasn't already done for this rich young ruler. Yeah. You know, Jesus had all of the treasures and all of the privileges of heaven. And what what did he do? He was willing to walk away from all of it, come into this world like you were talking about, deal with all the mess. He set aside all the privileges of being the son of God. Why? Because he's chasing after us. And it's like he comes and says, okay, I've done it. I've, I've laid aside everything. I'm here to suffer for you. I will even give my very own life for you. There's nothing that I'm holding on to. I've set it all aside for you. Now come follow me. And this rich guy's looking at a, a stash of money and he says, uh, you're not worth it. And it's like, gosh, how crushing would that have been? You know, the, the amount of rejection that Jesus faces when he's chasing after people. And you imagine him. You know, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few chapters after this, where he's looking over the city of Jerusalem and he's weeping and he's calling out, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you to myself as a, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You just – you get the sense, here's Jesus who's done exactly what he's asking us to do, to lay it all aside, to to lay hold of him just as he's laid it all aside to lay hold of us. Right. Um, but we think we have a better deal. It's pretty yeah. gross. It's tragic. You know, um, along that same lines, and I I sometimes hear from people that understand my affection for the Apostle Paul, uh, <laughs> who will say, you know, I don't like reading Paul's stuff. It's all just so logical and cold and so forth. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, Paul gives you these things that make you, that just bring you up short in your tracks and make you think, Whoa, uh, and Philippians two five and six come to mind when you start talking about what Jesus, you know, the things that Jesus gave up. It, um, he says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped." Um, and I'm like, you know what that means? It means that when Jesus was making that choice. That decision to come and and be incarnate as one of us and to go through all that he went through, he had to open his hands mm-hmm. and let go of equality with God for that time. Uh, and that to me is, you know, whatever whatever we feel like he's asked us to set aside, just think about what he <laughs> set aside. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like and he had to open his hands to do it. So mm-hmm. um well to uh then there's a final exchange here uh, in our story today, and it starts with our friend Peter, <laughs> who's always the guy. I'm telling you, folks, <laughs> I am telling you, go go find – it's like in, in almost every case. I'm going to say nine out of ten examples when the disciples are around Jesus, when the one speaks up for the group, it's Peter. <laughs> I love him. Uh, verse 28, and Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. You know that just cracks me up. He tells this guy, "You got to leave your stuff." And Peter's like, "Hey, we've left our stuff. Yeah, what what do we get? Yeah, and we've <laughs> left everything behind." You know. Uh, well, and Jesus answers that question, uh, verses twenty nine and thirty. He says, uh, "And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life." So. 
you know, Jesus is letting them know that whatever it is that you feel like you've set aside in order to come after him, that will be rewarded many times more, which, you know, mm. it's, it's a, that's a, that's a big st- that's coming from God. That's yeah, a promise from God to you, which is whatever you've set aside to follow me, you will receive many times more back. And that's not a prosperity gospel promise. I'm not saying if you give God a dollar, he's going to give you back a hundred because that's not what he's talking about here. Mm-mm. You know, well, he says you do it for the sake of the kingdom of God, not right. for the sake of getting a payback. Correct. Correct. You know, and Again, when he talks about leaving your house or wife or brother or parents or children, please don't take that as like literally like, oh, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to leave my wife. Um, first of all, let's just talk about the fact that Peter didn't leave his wife. You know, we have we have stories of the disciples with Jesus going and staying at Peter's house. Peter didn't sell his house. He didn't leave his wife. He didn't, you know. Did he did he go on the missionary trips? Did he go for a time? Yes. But what we're talking about here is where are these things in importance? You know, Jesus also said, unless somebody hates his father or mother, he doesn't want you to hate your father or mother. That would be a violation of the law, right? Mm-hmm. Honor your father and mother. Hate your father and mother. Well, how do we re- how do we understand that? He's talking mm-hmm. about the relative level of importance, right? He's talking mm-hmm. about where do you place these things? Where are, do you have idols that are on that same level with me? Isn't that what he's getting at here? Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you can go through the Bible. I mean, the Bible will talk, New Testament will talk about, you know, people who abandon their wives or children, or, you know, are worse than unbelievers, those that don't take sure. care, care of their relatives or bad. You know, like that is definitely not what it's getting at. What it's talking about is comparatively. Right. You know, so the rich young ruler comes and says, I love my money more than you. And Jesus is like, well, you need to do whatever it takes to rid yourself of that distraction so that I can be the greatest priority in your life. And again, at the end of this story, you hear from Jesus and he doesn't pick idols that are easy, you know. He doesn't say, oh, you know, money, because that's a very obvious one. He he gets in our business and says, your house, your wife, your brothers, your parents, your children, because those are really wonderful things. Those are things that the Bible calls us to celebrate and to love well and to lift up and to treasure and to cherish. And yet they still, even my wife, who I love more than I can communicate in words, I'm not to love her more than I love my God. Right. I'm not to love my children more than I love my God. And by the way, if I do that, that's really hard not to do. You know, I'd look at my children, you know, my my sweet sweet or, you know, <laughs> my, those are like I love my children and it's hard to to really prioritize and say, okay, I love God more than I love my Leah or my Nathan or my Jacob or my Caleb. And yet, if I want the very best for my wife, if I want the very best for my children, loving God more will be better for Laura and it will be better for my children. And and what he says here is when you do that, you will receive many, many times more. And notice what he says. Don't miss this. In this time, on this side of death, before the grave, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so he's saying if you want to experience the abundant life, if you want – I can't tell you. I feel this. I talk to so many Christians 
who are like, man, I'm just struggling to find joy. I'm struggling to find peace. I believe all this stuff, but I just, I don't feel it. You know, I was walking around this amusement park. <laughs> I should st- I should stay away from amusement parks because <laughs> they don't they don't seem to amuse you. That's the thing. <laughs> they really do not amuse me. It's like how can you combine all the things that Sam hates in one place and make him pay a lot of money for it? <laughs> you can you can get children involved and grandparents. <laughs> that's right. That, that's pretty much the only way that it's going to happen. Um, but I'm walking around and I see all these people and they are. You know, just filled with excitement and delight and joy. I mean, and then of course there's plenty of, of grumpy people everywhere. But you're, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm a I'm a believer. I've got this infinite inheritance. I'm surrounded by all these people who don't have the hope that I have, who don't have, you know, the the assurance, the love, and all that stuff that I receive from God the Father. And yet I'm walking around in this black mood thinking, I don't want to be here. This is, you know, you know, grumbling. And I'm thinking, why in the world do I not feel joy? And I mean, it's, it's not just amusement parks. There's plenty of seasons in my life where I'm just, I'm not marked by gratitude and I'm not marked by joy and I'm not marked by any of this. And in every one of those seasons, I can honestly say that it's not because I'm seeking Jesus too diligently. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. I'm wasting too much time in prayer. Yeah. I've, I'm studying the Bible too much. I'm I'm thinking about the love of God way too much and and you know what? I'm just miserable. Never. <laughs> that that does not happen. It's in the seasons where I'm seeking Jesus more than everything else that I'm the happiest, that I experience eternal life surging in this time as Jesus says. And it's when I let my eyes go everywhere else all the burdens of ministry and the obligations and my marriage problems or my parenting problems or or whatever else it might be that this life gets stripped of joy and the temptation is okay i need to 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 really dive in and make that my chief priority i need to and it's like no 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 and this is upside down thinking to the world if you're having marriage problems yes get marriage counseling uh, wonderful. Go to seminars. If you're having parenting problems, take courses. That's wonderful. Your greatest chance to see resurrection of joy and peace in your home is not to make that your number one priority. It's to make the Lord your number one priority and to reflect on how gracious he's been to you and how much he loves you and how much mercy he's shown to you and revel in that to where it overflows from you and begins to just totally take over your marriage and totally take over your house and your parenting and your relationships. That will breathe the power of resurrection into everything that you touch. It is a power that brings eternal life in this time. But the reason why we don't experience that power and that joy and that peace is because like that rich young ruler, we got a lot of things that take up our attention and crowd Jesus out. And that's convicting because that's me yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And probably again tomorrow. You know, it's like yep, it, probably it, later this afternoon. It comes, and, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it comes and goes. It's a it's a difficult thing, but I do know I agree with you one hundred percent. I can tell you that there's never been a time when I've been upset about something that if you came to me and said, "Well, what is it you're seeking right now?" Well, I would tell you what it is I'm upset about. I want the reversal of that. 
You know, mm-hmm. someone that I know is 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 uh, is sick, or someone I know, or or I'm upset about something I read uh, in the news. I'm upset about the terrible war in Ukraine that haunts me when I read about the things that are going, the atrocities, the the crimes against humanity that are going on over there. Really do at times. It's like it makes me physically ill to think about it. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, what is it you seek? Well, I want. Putin this and I want just get on the Russians rah. Yeah, but it's I'm like if if all of these things cause me to turn instead and to seek Jesus more fervently mm-hmm. to seek more fervently his kingdom and his glory um, those are the things where even in the face of these horrible things and the horrible things guys don't go away mm-hmm. and they don't even change sometimes but it makes it possible for me to look at them and say, I can find joy even in the midst of this because of who it is and what it is that I'm seeking. I'm seeking Christ. I'm seeking his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Man, I got to preach that to myself every single day. Yep. The the line in this when I'm thinking, you know, I can relate to this rich young ruler, even on the other side of of being a Christian. You know, there's times where I'm like, man, I I feel like I'm doing all this stuff. Why am I not feeling different? Yeah. You know, Jesus's response is summarized. You know, when I imagine what he would say to me when I'm like that, it's it's the f- five words right in the middle of the story. One thing you still lack, mm. and it's like in those moments, Jesus, I'm going, what is it? Why why do I feel? Why why why? And it's like he's going one thing. One thing. I'm the one thing. Like, come to me. Let go of all the other things and the idols and the distractions. Whatever's in your way that's keeping you from getting to me and meditating on me and and just diving into my goodness and reflecting on my promises and all that stuff. Like, whatever's keeping you from that, get rid of it. Yeah. One thing you lack. And, you know, that's a that's a theme that is in Luke. It, it was in Mary and Martha. If you remember that story where Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha in Bethany when he's visiting Jerusalem earlier in the Gospel of Luke, you know, Martha's racing around. She's got a million things she's worried about. And she's cooking and sweeping and she's got everything. She's getting angry that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she finally <laughs> breaks in. She's upset. And she says, will you tell her to help me? And he says, you know, you're really worked up about many things, Martha, but one thing is necessary. And there it is again. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better thing, and I will not take it away from her. That's Jesus' response. If you're wanting to know why you don't have peace, why you're worked up, why you lack joy, why you lack all these things, and you're coming saying, okay, what do I have to do? (laughs) You know, his, his response is, one thing, yeah. draw near. Get rid of all distractions and draw near to me and see if eternal life in this time doesn't surge into your life. I am, uh, I'm composing an email right now to the editors at Crossway insisting that uh, for verse 18 they change the heading from the rich ruler to one thing you lack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, when you guys revise it the next, and I know you will – Here's what I would like you to change that to. Uh, but one thing you lack. That's the, that's the good word from this, man. That's the, that's the message Jesus wants us to take from here is that if you don't have that joy and if you don't have that assurance of heaven and of a life that you have even today, one thing you lack. Mm-hmm. That's good Amen. stuff. 
Well, I think we're going to have to let it stand on that. The clock on the wall says that it's time to move on. Folks, I hope that you've had a good time today, that you've enjoyed yourself with us. I do hope that you have a place to go and worship on Sunday for Palm Sunday. Um, If you're listening to this podcast on Friday or Saturday after it comes out before Palm Sunday and you don't have a church uh, that you consider to be your home church and you happen to be in the greater Fort Lauderdale area, I would love to, I just would love to see you guys come on out to Rio Vista Church. Um, our Holy Week services are awesome. Palm Sunday, then we're going to have Maundy Thursday. Uh, we're going to have uh, the Friday Tenebrae Service of Shadows. It's going to be the, the Holy Saturday Vigil on Saturday night, and then Resurrection Sunday on the 17th. Um, it is a wonderful time at Rio Vista Church, and I would love to invite you to come out and join us. You can find directions to the church, information about our service times, and everything else that's going on um, by visiting our website at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. That's also where you can find all the back episodes of this Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. Uh, where you can also find us uh, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify, or on our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app, which is available for iOS or Android devices. Uh, we've got information about that on our website as well, or you can just search for Rio Vista Church uh, in those app stores, and you should be able to find us. Um, Sam and I'll be back next week with our topic for Resurrection Sunday, which is going to be the story of Zacchaeus. I hope that you're looking forward to that, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.